talk about what happens when God takes over. What happens when God takes over? Amen. What happens when God takes over? I was looking through the word on some situations that I was thinking about it. I said, you know, God, when we really need you, when we're really in difficulty, you will come through for your people. And it's always good to know that God has a way to rescue all of his people from all difficulty. There is no difficulty that will come into your life that God will not and cannot help you out of. Will not and cannot. Amen. Amen. God is always willing. His covenant spells it out. He is all, it is his will to do us good. Amen. And he wants to do you good all the days of your life. Now, we help ourselves in this endeavor of God's by living upright before him. Amen. And letting our righteous righteousness speak on our behalf. Many times I know <clears throat> when I was a, a new Christian, I was always worried about, uh, did I do something to offend God? And if, if he's offended, uh, you know, what's what's he going to do and this, that and the other. And then I learned how to meditate on the word about his promise to forgive us if we confess our sins. And that was a big breakthrough for me because I found out that you can know the scripture but then there's a difference if you live it out and you own it and you live in the reality of it. Because I am convinced that condemnation is a major culprit in the lives of most believers. Condemnation will rob you of the confidence and faith and all of those things that we desire to have in God. It will cause us not to receive what we need by faith. It will cause your faith not to work. Condemnation will block your faith. And it will cause your faith not to work for you. It's, it's, any, it's like any other spiritual force that you allow into your life. And that's a major one. Because many times people who are, are bond, in bondage of some type. You know, is bound. They have a habit they can't get rid of and this kind of stuff. The enemy looks at that and he will use that to accuse you and torment your mind about it. If he wins, he will cause you to succumb to that temptation over and over again. See, the, the falling into temptation is just a matter of who won the last mental argument in your head. Amen. You got me? So the devil will just occupy your head if he can. You got me? And live there and bombard you with thoughts of inadequacy, uh, thoughts of superiority, thoughts of you're not good enough, thoughts of look at what you did. All of that is condemnation. And it comes because we don't walk after the spirit, but we walk after the flesh. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, really? Walking after something means being guided in your mind. If your mind is minding the things of the flesh, things that you have done that are not right, or things that others have done to you that are, those are the, you're minding the things of the flesh. You have this mental argument going on 24-7 
about who did what to you and how, how wrong they were. And then the devil will turn it on you sometimes and show you things you did to other people and, and you know, accuse you there. And so how many of you know that that's an argument that needs to be cast down? When I say cast down, I mean you don't even pay attention to it. The minute it pops up, you throw it down under your feet. Now, with some people, it's such a a regular thing. It's such a common thing that they'll listen to it for a period of time. The time that you listen to it is a time that you're considering the things of the flesh and not the things of the spirit. So you're not walking after the things of the spirit. You're walking after the things of the flesh. And so your mental condition has a lot to do with what you pursue, how you win this argument, what you fill your mind with, what you meditate on. All of that has a lot to do with how you live your life and whether you'll be able to fight that spirit of condemnation when it comes to you and tells you, You did this wrong, that wrong, that wrong. You're no good. This is wrong with you. That's wrong with you. How many of you, when you feel a symptom in your body, you try to figure out where it came from? Or you're walking after the flesh. You see what I'm saying? So it's just, it's it's so common. See, it's so common for us because we're, we're accustomed to this earth realm so much that we'll have to think about that. You know, you might give it, uh, a little bit of time or, or, and then you say, dad, he got me again. I'm healed. You know, you, it's an afterthought instead yeah. of the first thought. Yeah. So condemnation will come because in, in, in condemnation is what tells you there's a reason for you to feel that pain. There is no reason <laughs> you're healed. It's paid for. Amen. You're righteous if you'll step into that. Amen. And so it's very, very essential for us to understand that trouble will come to us just from a mindset, just from a thinking too much about certain things, just from weighing certain things instead of kicking them out the minute they come to us. Amen. And so when you find yourself kind of in this position and weighing things and, and all of that, you, you need to have a way to get God in there so that he can undertake for you and he can take over. Bless you. So God takes over in situations where we invite him in. And so we'll talk a little bit about how that works because we need to have God on the scene all the time. There should never be a time where you're walking after the flesh or pursuing the flesh or concerned about this thing or that thing, God has ordained for us to live a life, a carefree life, and life in the spirit. <clears throat> so in Psalm 60, verse 11, if you'll turn there, and this will help us to understand that God wants to be involved in our lives at all times, and he wants us to avail ourselves of his help at all times there's no such thing as you take care of it and calling god when it's real important you know it's real and i think most of you learn long enough live long enough to understand that but it's amazing how our minds will drift see the more you feel condemned the more the devil has condemned you the less um inclined you will be to go to god first you'll always try to exhaust your own resources 
and invite God in second. The closer, the quicker, more quickly you involve God, the more you stay, the more you stay in the flow of his grace in the flow of his favor, in the confidence of righteousness that's imputed to you, all of that, uh, the more you stay in the spirit if you go to him right away. So it says here in verse uh, 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 Psalm 60, verse 11, it says, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. The help of man is no avail. You want God to come in and undertake for you immediately because the longer you diddle around in your own resources and the long, longer you try to do it yourself, sometimes the, the bigger a hole you dig for yourself. In Psalm 108, verse 12, it says the same thing. It says, give us help from trouble for vain is the help of man. Amen. So looking to people. For our answer is always vain. Now, the exception, of course, being people that God has put in your life, amen, who can speak into your life. And and the most help I've found that I can give people is counsel from the word of God in prayer. And many times I'll tell that person, well, have you prayed about this? What do you believe God is saying to you about it amen so you don't have to like come up with the answers for people all the time because you know as a pastor you have to instruct people how to seek God for themselves and how to receive their own answers not that I'm not witchy in it you know what I'm saying but it it, it's so much better to strengthen yourself in these things than than leaning but then there's a reward too that comes from submission to authority that people can avail themselves of amen and so god will always honor godly authority that is put into your life if you're a a a a son or a daughter your parents authority always works to help you i mean even if you're grown they they can can help you by reassuring you about certain things if you in a church of course your leadership there uh, the pastors and whoever they might designate to pray for you are people that that if you submit to them god will honor that in marriages and this is where we have major trouble uh, wives submit to your husbands but you both submit to one another in the fear of the lord so for instance if the husband and wife are trying to make a decision and if the wife comes up with an answer that God honors then the husband has to relinquish what he was saying to pick that up so you submit to one another in the fear of the Lord in other words whoever can think the best in God can come up with the solution and these things can be worked out to his glory amen but in in all things in domestic things the the husband is the head of the wife and of the entire family and so but that that doesn't headship really implies responsibility more than it implies anything else because god is holding that man accountable for the success of that family the the going forward of that family is his responsibility and so if we will submit to the godly authority and not depend on when we say man we mean you your own strength your own devices your own you ever you ever have have an idea that come to you you got a problem and you have an idea and it's like a snap idea and you put it into practice and it fails miserably 
it don't work at all. And, it, and sometimes you'll even feel like no peace about doing it, but you do it anyway because you're so accustomed to, to doing your own thing. Well, that's when, when you have hit that door where that's been closed to you, where God says, your help is vain. And he doesn't do it to make you feel bad or to tell, make you feel small or to tell you're nothing and a nobody. He does it because he can see far down the road ahead in the spirit. And he knows that what, what's coming ahead of you, if you continue on this route, you will have no means to overcome it. See, God is not a snap God. He's a God of vision. He's a God of long vision. He's a God who sees far off into the future. And he knows that if, if we start to put things into motion on our own without his counsel, without his leadership, without his help, without bringing him in on the scene, that at some point, see, say, for instance, your activities are building something. They are building a ship or they're building a house for you. If your activities are building, then at some point, if, if it's not being built the right way, you're going to have a leak. Huh? If it's a boat, you're going to have a leak in the bottom. If it's a house, you're going to have some mortar cracking and causing your basement to fall apart. You understand what I'm saying? So God, instead of allowing you to get half of it built and then the devil come tear it down and then you suffer defeat or you're mad at God, it's the first thing that happens, or you get mad at his servants. That's that's the, the thing the lame people take. You get mad at God's servants, amen, because you're scared to get mad at God because you don't know him. See, we got to go all the way back there because there are people who really don't. They know about him. I'm talking about church people who come regularly, but they don't know him up close and personal, huh? where they can go talk to him and be assured that he's not there to get even with them, take anything from them. He's going to give them what they ask for. See, many people don't know God in that realm. So that's why they stay away from him when trouble comes, you know, then the pastor gets the phone call or to come up to the altar and I want to pray for this. I want this. I want the way you talk to God. Many times I'll have people talk to God at the altar and they'll be shocked at how quickly he answers them. Amen. So vain is the help of man, including you, your own help. It's not going to get you anywhere. When real trouble comes, you got to know. Now, there are two things that we have to keep in mind that you must keep in your heart and in your mouth if you're going to keep God's help and you're going to get God's help. The first one is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving must be in your mouth and your heart. Why don't you take your boots off, sweetie pie? Would you do that for Baba? Thank you. Praise must be in your thanksgiving must be in your mouth and your heart. Praise must be on your lips because you're going to curse something and somebody if you don't keep it like that. When I say curse, I mean you're going to condemn it, complain it. You're going to cause it to be deteriorated by your own words. So really, praise and thanksgiving are, they work in the realm of the spirit, but they're also a protection for you 
so you don't destroy what's already built in your life. See, the devil start messing with stuff. And then you something will come out of your mouth. And I knew that was going to happen. And the devil did it. How'd you know that? Hmm? Because you've been nursing it in your mind. You've been fearing it all along. So when it comes to pass, you knew it because you produced it. Everybody wants to be a prophet after the fact. See, we'll own things after the fact because we want to have the pride of having known it was going to happen in advance. All of the uh, prophets, uh, I won't say self-proclaimed, many of them are chosen of God. But now everybody wants to be a prophet for Trump. But they're the people we know by name, and they have their prophet websites already set up. But nobody knew it was going to happen in 2011 except a little fireman who was sick. Oh, sick! You mean he's not walking in divine health and God talks to him? Apparently. just messes up everybody's theology from A to Z. Because number one, we've been told if we're sick and we got symptoms and all this kind of stuff, God, can, something must be wrong. God, have sin in your life. Something must be wrong with you. Huh? I was in that club, folks. Come on now. It's easy to join the, the crazy ranks. So now all of a sudden everybody's I knew that. See, even the real prophets want to be (laughs) false ones. After the fact prophets, amen. And so when something happens wrong and you say you knew it, you need to check yourself. Because if you let it happen, you knew it already. You were forewarned. Why don't you stop it with your faith? Amen. And so we've all fallen into that trap. We've had things cooking on the inside of us to our hurt and to our demise because we have a pattern in our lives of bad things happening. And we've been powerless to stop them, so we think. We've been told by the guess who, the dude who rents space in your head, free, ain't paying, no, ain't paid a lick of rent. In fact, he's made you pay for him to live there. Huh? It's true. So he's been telling you, I mean, feeding you little bit by little bit all along. Ain't going to never happen. You just watch. Now watch. It's going to be just like it was the last time. And you know your faith. You, you, you've been in. Pastor Shelley, can you pray with me? You get your prayer. Pastor Shirley said, put your hands away. Oops, I forgot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Got to touch and agree. I'm not going to go there. This, I'm going to get at an off day. But you know what I mean. There's nothing wrong with holding hands. If you feel led of the Spirit to do it, don't get there. But Anyhow, what was I talking about? 
So you, you get your agreement in prayer. You're gonna, it's going to happen different this time. And then you go on your merry way. Hmm? No thanksgiving. You know what people do sometimes? They try to set the preacher up. They get you to agree in prayer with them for something. They don't do their due diligence to keep their faith active. We can agree, but it's got to park in your garage. It's got to sit in your kitchen. Because, see, God will give me mine. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? If I got to go to somebody else to get some agreement like you do, I'm going to get it. Huh? But see, you got to prove your faith to God that you really believe it. And so what happens is we go our merry way. And on the way, the devil says, what about that? uh, You know, know, Pastor Shirley agreed. You know, they say Pastor Shirley, she good at praying for money. So it's her responsibility to get your bill money. Maybe she having an off day. Or off year. Uh huh. And you start saying, Pastor, her prayers don't work like they used to. Huh? All because the devil flagged you down. You went your merry way. Had no thanksgiving in your heart. Thanksgiving is like insect repellent for the devil. Uh-huh. It like <laughs> right in his eye. Uh-huh. He hates it because he's resentful, he's angry, he's all the things we are without thanksgiving. Well, it's taken too long. First thing he says, wants to put a time limit on your blessing. Huh? I don't know why it's taking so long. It should have happened by now. And then finally, you make up in your mind, it's not going to happen. Now listen, I've been there. I used to live there. And I know what it's like. He'll get you to thinking about it's missing instead of I have it. See, when you prayed, the last thing you said was amen, which means I have it. If you didn't doubt in your heart and you believe what you prayed would come to pass, you left that prayer saying, I have it. The other thing is thanksgiving will keep your heart rich in the love of God. So that you don't, when when you look at people that you used to disdain or you used to remember when they said something mean to you or blah, 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 now you can look at them with love and it's all good. See, it's forgiven and it's all gone. And so God expects us to walk in a resident forgiveness in our heart toward all offenses and not pick up the offense and nurse it and carry it everywhere we go. Well, The enemy wants us to revisit old places that defeated us. Because if you think about it, that one thing that had you going for years, 
is still going on because he puts you on repeat. Mm-hmm. He just goes. Oh. He doesn't try anything new. He doesn't need to. Because we're already pre-programmed for the old stuff to work. So Thanksgiving really guards your heart and guards your mind and, and keeps you in the love of God. The other thing that will keep you in that same spirit and keep you open to receive the good things of God is praise. So if you would, when I say praise, I mean always blessing the Lord. You know, people have these weird ideas about praise. Praise is saying anything true and anything good about God, about his people, about his kingdom, about your prayer. That's what I mean. In addition to lifting him up and blessing his name, extolling him, saying great things about him, inviting him into your situation. So praise will cause God to reside in your heart in a greater measure. Praise will cause him to be there for you all of the time. Praise will cause a resident anointing and presence to be in your home, in every room of your house, in your car, everything. If you will keep edifying, building up and releasing praise from your lips. People think if they have problems, they have a right to complain. You don't. You don't know. Ooh, I do know. I know complaining made me crazy at one point in my life. It'll make you so crazy you won't even be be willing to get up and go brush your teeth. Somebody will have to come motivate you to do it. Demons take up residence in your mind. They'll fester your mind. To the point where you have nothing good to say about anybody, no good expectations. And see, as believers, we should, and sometimes I look at people, I said, you know what? They don't really know what they plan with with that stuff. It's just the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus that stops the devil from really marching in there and taking you over. Huh? Because that could easily happen. It happens to Christians. And see, if we don't get a grip on ourselves and realize what kingdom we are living in and reside there and live in every room that God gives us in the kingdom, don't just live in the blessing room, huh? live in the giving room, live in the love room, live in the room that, that causes you to want to exalt the Lord more in your home, with your children, with your husband. Around everybody that just gathers the whole family together so we can bless the Lord. Amen. And and start living like that. Make it up in your mind that it's the right thing to do. And then when trouble comes and it will come, I'm not talking about some witchcraft stuff to ward off the devil. You know what I'm saying? Because the Bible promises you're going to have trouble if you live in this world. But you're to be of good cheer because he's overcome, which means you got a little work to do, Lucy. You understand what I'm saying? So you got to do a little work in God to get yourself in the place where trouble flees from you 
But you need to bring God on the scene for that. So in Acts chapter 16, if you'll turn there, we'll talk about Paul and Silas and how they needed to bring God on the scene. Now, many of the people that that we'll talk about were were obedient. Can the obedient get in trouble? They sure can. There's more trouble for you when you obey God sometimes than when you disobey. When you disobey, you'll probably stop yourself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, wait a minute. I went too far here. Amen. But when you're obedient, you act like some innocent victim somewhere. You know, I, I can't understand why, why this happened to me. Anybody ever been there? Why God? Why? Why me? I was just doing if we only knew you got a target that says shoot me here shoot me here huh shoot me here you've got targets all over you and god put them there huh when you witness to somebody you got a target on your back when you prayed for a sick person you got another target on you and see people christians compromise because they think if i don't do none of that stuff i won't be a target well, that makes you a bigger one because <laughs> you will have to be convinced who you belong to. Huh? You don't quite know. You're not quite convinced. We think if we haven't had trouble for a while, that means something. I don't mean nothing. That just means it's coming probably. But if you, if you stay with God, it won't, it won't even matter to you. Sometimes we have trouble and don't even know it's upon us because we're so accustomed to living under the shadow of the Almighty. Thanksgiving will put you there every single time. You don't believe it? All you have to do, just just watch yourself sometimes. Get in your car where there's nobody but you, if that's possible. Most of y'all can be in there by yourselves anymore. And uh, just begin to thank God. Father, I thank you. Don't praise, just thank. Father, I thank you. I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning, and thank you for saving me and helping me. Thank you for giving me a sound mind, Lord, and a good job and a decent family, and we're going somewhere in you. I thank you for that. And see if that atmosphere does not fill up with the presence of God. Thanksgiving always brings increase. So God is able to increase you, increase your capacity to stay close to him, increase your ability to get right answers from him and have good things come into your life. Thanksgiving will allow you to step into that place of knowing God is with you. See? It says if with it taken with thanksgiving, you see, even when you bless your food, the Bible says if you're thankful for it, uh huh? and you pray over it, then God will be able to bless your bread and your water and you get immunity from disease. It says take sickness from the midst of you, but that's not just food poisoning. It says sickness, not sickness from food. It just said sickness, amen. And so, because your food is supposed to bring health to you. If it's blessed, I heard somebody talking about vegan and you know vitamins. <laughs> he talking about that. 
It's what you say over it that causes it to bring health to you. It's not what you eat. That's right. Christians over in Asia can eat worms. Foods with maggots in it and bless it, scrape the maggots off and be healthy. See, people here don't want to believe. American people don't like believing stuff like that. But you try being a missionary and see what they put in front of you sometimes. And God tells you to be thankful for it. Don't offend your host by refusing it. Got me? I fired somebody for a minister we hired to minister here because they refused our hospitality. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, stuff like that I take very seriously. To me, that puts you in the naughty column, not the nice one, right off the bat. They took an invitation for an elevation. Invitation is merely a test for you to pass to see if you get elevated. Uh Did not CC. Did not boost. Boost was. (laughs) And I wasn't angry. I prayed about it. But I let them know that when you refuse our hospitality, you reject us. And see, my initial feeling is when I invite somebody and they reject me, that means I'm going to have trouble if I go any further with them. You understand what I'm saying? Because they heart ain't right. So this is how God helps you to weed out the good from now. I've had preachers that acted up when they, but they didn't get invited again but if i can stop one at the door before it even gets loose in there then i'm so much happier you're happier you get better ministry everything's a whole lot better and so we have to be careful the scriptures we violate they're important to obey all of them but some of them have very far-reaching impact in our lives Because they can be the difference between life and death and some things. Um, uh, I was talking to Sheree and she was saying, she said, I was thinking, she said, when I start throwing up, I thought I had food poisoning. I said, you ain't got no food poisoning. You've been blessing your bread and your water. I said, if you eat any deadly thing, I say, you've stood on that scripture for years. It couldn't have been food poisoning. (laughs) You're right. Right. You know, so X that off the list right away. You understand what I'm saying? If you got faith for that yesterday, you got faith for it today. We don't get food poisoning. Amen. Our food is not poison in Jesus name. You take the poison out with the word of God. Can bless your bread and your water and take sickness from the midst of you. Amen. Praise God. No people are too, too antsy about the wrong things you know it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you but what you listen to on the television (laughs) you understand what i'm saying that's where the defilement comes from what you let enter your ear and get into your heart what you believe amen and so here paul and silas are 
They're on their way to the prayer meeting. We're on our way to the prayer meeting. God calls a prayer meeting and they're ever so excited about going. Sixteen verse. Let me get to reading. Oh, I'm in Romans. I should be in action. No wonder I don't get the right scripture. I was looking down. I said, where's my scripture at, Lord? Like I said. Acts chapter 16. And voice. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. Now, prior to this time, Paul had preached that he got a, a, the welcome was put out, you know, everywhere he went, you know, he believers getting baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost everywhere he was. He's on a high. But he's got to remember there's a target on his back. See, when you have a good meeting like yesterday's healing school, everybody was, oh, this is so good. It's phenomenal. You know, God is so good. And, but, you know, you're on a high and you got to remember there's still a target on your back. Verse 16, it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain. So she had a good gift. She had a gift they could turn into money. There are a lot of people like that. They do it all the time. You see them now. They've got contracts on TLC for witches to give words to people. Amen? So they're making big money still. He says, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way to salvation. Now, what's wrong with that? She's telling the truth. They are servants of the Most High God. And they preach salvation. <laughs> but Paul was irritated with her. You ever heard people saying the right things, but they just don't agree in your spirit? They kind of grieve your spirit and irritate you? Why? Because her spirit was wrong. You can say the truth, but if it's not coming from the spirit of truth, it's a lie anyway. Huh? So she's trying to con Paul and Silas into connecting with them in some way and messing up their ministry. Which is like to be around prophets because they feel like they can learn things. huh? And that's why sometimes your preaching will offend them to a degree. And then everybody says, well, so-and-so don't like it because Pastor Barb preached so rough. Yeah, so you won't wind up going listening to them in a closet somewhere and giving them all your money and going off with them somewhere. Huh? <laughs> and this she did many days. So she wasn't a first time offender. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, not to her. If you don't know the difference between you and a spirit that's attached itself to you. He said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour when her masters saw that the hope of their gain were gone. 
They caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace unto the elders. That was their court back in the day. It was real quick. And brought them to the magistrate saying, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive. So in other words, they always accuse you of being an enemy of the state. And we see that in so many of our nations, the persecuted nations that we, we uh, pray for and we teach on every month, that, that the first thing that happens is the government gets involved in the business of, of uh, sabotaging religion or sabotaging faith or sabotaging God's word. And that's true worldwide. He says, and, and, and they give us customs to receive and to observe that are not lawful for us. So they are breaking the law by teaching about Jesus Christ. That's true here in this country. Huh? It's being done under the guise of homophobia, uh, Islamophobia, all these other phobias, you know, labels that the devil wants to attach to Christians. Amen. Uh, I'm not scared of nothing, really. I just don't have no no taste for it and I don't have any use for it because my God forbids it. Amen. And so that's what you have to stand on as a believer. We have rules that we live by as well. You know, they're not the only ones. And they think they can get Christians to back down to the point that we don't have any standards. We don't have any rules. And if we do, we're afraid to voice them. Amen. And so the multitude rose up together against him. The magistrates tore their clothes off, commanded them to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, cast them into a prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge threw them into the inner prison and made their feet. Now they was deep in the jail. You understand what I'm saying? This wasn't like, like, you know, some of some celebrities that we know in jail, they got a TV, they got a private toilet. The cell might be tight, but you know, they got stuff. Many times prisoners who were Christians were chained to a guard. And he says, it says, they received such a charge, took them to inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. So many times they would put ankle chains on you, and it wasn't like that tether thing that you can walk around your house in. See, that's just what we have now is merely a remnant, electronic remnant. And see, some of these dudes be out running around the city and everywhere else, and nobody stopped them from doing anything. Why? It's an imaginary chain. They put them in real chains. So these these chains were anchored in cement to a wall, and you were chained up, and only the chief jailer had the key. And so here they are. Paul and Silas are there. So they need God to take over for them because vain is the help of man. Caesar has not, now Paul is a Roman citizen and Caesar has not come to help him. Nobody bothered to ask him what his citizenship was. They just threw him in jail without a trial, without a hearing, without anything. And so there he is in jail. Paulus, Silas is locked up with him. And so in agreement, this is where it's very important to have people of like precious faith with you who don't panic in extreme trouble. You need to have God help you to understand where your help is 
when deep trouble comes upon you because vain is the help of man. And so Paul and Silas understanding, number one, Paul was in authority. Silas was in agreement. Amen. They went into the jail and, and it says they at midnight they prayed. You know, your worship leaders will leave that part out. Oh, you can praise your way out of anything. Really? <laughs> Try 25 years to life. Huh? In a cell. <laughs> Lucasville. Even worse. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Try some of that action. So there they are, and they decide to pray. Amen. And at the end of every prayer meeting, now I just feel like what they did was they continued doing what they set out to do before they ran into the witch girl. Amen. They were on their way to prayer. So God just changed the location of the prayer. But it don't mean you ain't going to pray. Just because you got kicked in jail, it doesn't mean you don't pray. Just because your child gets a failing grade, it doesn't mean you don't pray. Just because they don't get accepted in the school you want them in, that doesn't mean you don't pray. God's orders for you are never canceled because of circumstances. You just keep on with the prayer. And so they have a prayer meeting, a change of venue. Instead of from Lydia's house where, you know, she was a very wealthy woman invited them in. We don't go to Lydia's today. We have prayer in jail. So here's the prison ministry getting started. And it says they sang praises, they prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. I think that if the more trouble you in, the louder you need to voice your your uh, your worship to God. The louder you need to voice your prayer to God, the louder you need to be about it because the devil really is trying to discourage you and silence you. And so you got to overcome his. And they said they prayed and they prayed so loud the other prisoners heard them. Yeah, which wasn't hard to do. But but they did have stone walls between there. And so their praises to me were so loud that the anointing began to shake the foundation of the prison where they were. Amen. So sometimes you don't need to pray your prayer in a corner. Sometimes you need to pray your prayer visible where people can hear it. Many times you'll find that people join in. Remember the guy that I think he was a coach or something. It's been a few years ago. He had a heart attack with a basketball game. He had a heart attack down there on the court. And the the players gathered around him and began to recite the only prayer that they know everybody knows. And that's the Lord's Prayer. Amen. And in that prayer is a healing clause. Deliver us from the evil one. Amen. And that whole stadium gathered together and prayed on one accord for that man. And he survived. And so many times your prayer cannot be effective if it's prayed in a corner. If it's prayed under your breath, if it's prayed in a way that nobody else can hear it, because you never know who needs to get the benefit of that prayer. And because they heard it, 
it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. In other words, God told that thing up. See, it's one thing for you to get your answer, but it's another thing for you to let God take over. If you just start offering up prayer, ask, I wonder what Paul and Silas prayed for. I give you one guess, and that one don't count. <laughs> they prayed to get us out of here. Huh? You have not because you ask not. What do you think they prayed for? What would you pray for? Give us strength to make it through. You know, people come up, what do you want me to pray for? Just pray for me to be strong. I said, you already are. That's the problem. What's bugging you? Huh? God knows already and so do you. You need to confess it so you can get it out. You know, don't hide. Don't keep secrets with the devil. When he's messing with your life, don't keep secrets with him. Amen. Don't be ashamed of what he's doing in your life. Paul and Silas screamed as loud as they could. Get us out of here. Huh? Praise, prayer, and thanksgiving will always cause God to not only show up on the scene, but take over. When the Bible says Jesus is enthroned on the praises of his people, that means he brings his majesty with him. He brings his all authority with him. He brings all his mighty power with him. He brings the heavenly host with him. Remember the angels on the mountain behind Elijah and his servant? Amen. And so that's what God brings with him. He just don't come in a little feeling and a little puff of smoke. He brings everything with him and then some. You got me? Because the devil needs to be totally eradicated because he's messed with one of God's children who are on their way to prayer, not messing with nobody. See, Paul gave her a choice. He ignored her for many days, it says. And then one day he just couldn't take anymore. Amen. (laughs) Said, come out of her. He didn't pick at the lady. He didn't call her names or anything. He just cast the devil out of her. Amen. So there the, 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 the prison door shake and the keeper of the prison looked. Everybody's bands were loosed. It's important. That you do things so other people can hear. And I believe as they began to pray. And they began to worship God. Those prisoners hearing it increased their faith for them to get free as well. And the keeper of the prison. Verse 27. Awaking out of his sleep. Uh oh Chuck. (laughs) Taking a nap. He should have stayed awake that night. See what I'm saying. (laughs) He should have joined in the prayer. He would have known what was going on. And waked out of his sleep and seeing the, Chuck know I'm going to mess with her if I can. Seeing the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Now that was a Roman law. Caesar would abuse you and murder you if you lost prisoners. So instead of going through that, they take their own lives rather than be abused and tortured before they you know the cross they had the crucifix there for people like that 
And he says, Paul cried with a loud voice, don't do yourself any harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. See, the people who imprisoned you will serve you when God comes on the scene. You got me? He will flip them around and turn them around. Now he wants to be his friend. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him how to get saved. And they tell him how to free himself from the bondage that he's in according to the Roman government. So no matter what happens to him from this point on, he's got salvation. Before if he had killed himself, before Paul interacted with him and witnessed to him, he would have gone to hell. So we believe that this man, if he did get in some trouble for allowing the prisoners to escape, amen. So the next day, Paul goes before the Roman court and he is allowed to go free, amen. So God does a thorough job when he comes on the scene. He not only gets you out of present trouble, but he frees you up to go on about your life and do what you need to do. So I don't care if it's sickness that's got you down. I don't care if finances. I don't care if it, whatever it is, future bills that are concerning you. When God sets you free from that, you are free to go on and live your life with faith and with accomplishment and not fearing that it's going to get worse or that the good times are going to come to an end. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's never that way. It's always with a blessing with the freedom and all of that and so forth and so on. And here we are in verse 40 says, and they went out of the prison and entered in the house where good old Lydia, the rich lady. Remember her? The one they prayed for people in, they had a revival a few days earlier. They went to the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and then they departed. So Paul, as long as he knew he had work to do for God, his faith held so he got to do the next thing that God wanted him to do. Don't ever think that your your blessings are over, your your life is over, your, you come to a fork in the road, you don't know which way to go. Don't ever feel that there's a bad road to take. Because God is always there with you. He he knows the things that He's planned for you. He's got He wants to do you good. He says, all the days of your life. So Moses and Pharaoh, if you go to Exodus chapter 2, how much time do we have? Ladies. Oh, I can do a lot in that time. Yes, yes, yes. In Exodus chapter 2, we see a situation that happens. That this, this is a covenant keeping God situation. So there are some things that that God will show you mercy in your life that you haven't even prayed for. You can't remember that you prayed for. Has anybody ever been like that? Things show up, good things show up, just, and you can't, you try to think, well, I don't even remember praying for this. You serve a God who keeps covenant and mercy. So he will, he'll, he, he has certain things. And what that means is there are certain things that are slated to move into your life. And he keeps them on schedule. They'll never be late. They'll always be on time. They will always be there to bless you. They will always be there so that to make your life better, to make your life easier, to cause your life to prosper and to be blessed. So in Exodus chapter 2, in verse, I think it's 
23. Okay, so now we, we know the children of Israel have been in bondage to Pharaoh. I think it's 400 some odd years. It was prophesied 430 years, 420 years, something like that. Uh, Abraham was told that. He said that your your descendants will go down to Egypt and they will serve there and be in bondage for that number of years. So the clock is winding down on their bondage. And so God has to find a way to get them positioned so that they will take his deliverance when it comes to them. And prayer and crying out really position us to receive what God has for us. It is not trying to convince God to do something for you that he doesn't want to do. It's not trying to get him to notice you so that he will do something for you. It's prayer is to engage you and engage your faith so that you will cooperate with God when deliverance presents itself at your door. So your deliverance is already on schedule. It's already uh, paid for. It's already set in motion. But if God sends it to you with no faith effort on your part, you're going to fight it and you're going to say that ain't God. Or you're going to change your mind about it. It looks too dangerous. I don't know about this deliverance stuff. I don't know about the people involved. Now, we think that's not true. You look at what's happening in our nation politically in every other way. Very few people see what the president who's there now is doing as an answer to prayer. But we've been praying for years that prayer would come to the White House. He got more prayer there than the so-called Christian ministers did. Definitely more than the last one with the Ramadan people there once a year. He stopped it this year. You got me? No more Ramadan in the White House. You got me? We don't serve Allah here. We serve God. So now people want to kill the messenger. They like the message, but they don't. They want to deny the message because they hate the messenger. That has been so true of the church for so long. It's pathetic. And I remember when we first started understanding prophecy and the things that we were called to do in prayer, we were warned over and over and over again. When the new move of God comes in, the people who were leaders in the old move will fight it because they don't recognize it as being what they want it to be. See, it never comes when Azusa, when the Azusa Street revival started and it was revolutionary in the impact of it for the church, for society, for this nation, for every culture that it touched. Only the select pure hearted people ever got there because it was led by a black man. And at that time, people were so segregated in churches, it was pathetic. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's okay now, you know, and people can go freely. If you don't want to go, it's because you don't like them people. You know what I'm saying? But nobody's going to stand at the door and tell you you can't come in because you're the wrong color. Right. You know, people aren't that stupid still. But anyway, it was grossly segregated. One of the reasons uh, Daddy Seymour had to go and keep moving was because he was not allowed. He learned the baptism in the Holy Spirit because he was sitting on the porch of the church because he was not allowed to go in and sit with the congregation because they were all white. But he humbled himself and he got what God had for him. 
And then God allowed that anointing to rest on him. Why? Because he had a forgiving and loving heart. He could have been mean and evil or, you know, just like they were. But he decided to forgive and love because he loved God too much. So he became the carrier of that revival, which has been like no other. And even more so than, than the day of Pentecost in the church. Because from that revival, people would come in on Monday and start praying in tongues and, and stay in a trance for 8, 10, 12 hours and God would lay out their whole ministry before them in one day and they'd get on a boat and go and start their ministry. That's how the continent of Africa was evangelized. That's how South America was evangelized. And we we pray for people to receive tongues and they go out of here and start fornicating again. Or stay in here and fornicate. Oh, that one was free. You understand what I'm saying? And so we've got to understand something about the purity and the power of God when it rests on a non-judgmental, a non-hateful soul. That purity of that vessel is so vitally important in the outcome of what God can see in the earth. And I'm telling you, we need to put our politics away, our judgment away, and ask God to help us see what's going on in his kingdom and in the realm of the spirit if we're going to make it. Because we're going to be throwaway castaways like so many people in revivals before that didn't get a chance to participate in it because it wasn't like they thought it was supposed to be. Like who formed the heaven and the earth? You didn't. It was here when you got here. So there must be a higher power or somebody like that that's up there calling the shots. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes God can do thing more things through a brand new raw Christian than he can through seasoned ones. Because we got seasoned people who don't really need God so much anymore. Why? They know all the tricks. They know how to raise their million dollars. They knows how to get their mega church. They know how to connect with the right people so they'll keep going. They don't really need all those hours of prayer and all that fasting and all that other stuff that the old timers had to do to get where they go. But I'm telling you, this is going to be the great snare of the enemy for the church and for anybody else who wants to play that game. Because God is moving. He's not stopping. He's finally found somebody who's going to move and not stop. And not really care who talks about it. I remember when we first started praying for, for uh, President Trump when he was running. And people started hurling insults at him. I said, God, if I didn't know better, I think he was one of yours. Because the way he's hated, only your anointing can draw that kind of hatred onto a person. And God said, start to pray for that stuff to bounce off of him. So we start calling him Teflon Don. Amen. When we pray for President Trump now, he's still Teflon Don, right? So insults won't stick because when they begin to stick to you, you begin to compromise. You got me? And so you have to be wise, folks, and understand what God's doing everywhere. He's not limited. You think he doesn't work through politicians and judges? 
them's his favorite people. You look in the Bible, look at all the kings he worked through, secular kings, amen? Got to use anybody he wants to. He lifts them up, he puts them down. Your best bet is when you get somewhere, you start praying and ask what God wants you to do with your little authority that you have. You understand what I'm saying? So here's Moses, the children of Israel, began to cry out to God. He said here in, in Exodus 2, in verse 23, it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, the original one that showed Joseph such favor, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. So there are times when things are tough for us for a reason. Now, I'm not saying God put stuff on you. Don't be a little victim here. We don't have any victims in his kingdom. But I'm saying stuff is bad, period. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You show me a place where it ain't bad for somebody, you know. So it's bad for them now. They could have lived, continued to live in, in Goshen in the lap of luxury and immune from everything that's going to hit Egypt. They did have Goshen as a retreat. So Goshen really is a type of living in the spirit for us. You can live in the spirit. You don't have to live worrying about your bills and worried about people and worried about your job and worried about your future. You can live in the spirit. And it's not fantasy either. It's a real place. I know because I've been there. Huh? You can go there too. In fact, I lived there a lot, to be honest with you. I had to over the years just to stay sane. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes it is that that touch and go. But anyway, you don't have to go there. You can choose to dwell there. And in the process of time, they cried out by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and he remembered. Now, that doesn't mean that God's absent-minded. You understand what I'm saying? When when God remembers something, he starts speaking. That means it's on the front of his mind. That means he's ready to deal with it. When you see where God remembered, the next verse usually, and God said. Hmm? I don't know if it's there. What's there? Well, it just says he remembered. Amen. But but when God gets in remembrance of his covenant, that means he's ready to move. See? it's It like moves from back burner to front burner with him. That's the way he remembers things. And so it says he remembered his covenant. And he says, uh, let me see. Where was I? Uh, 3, 20. Who? 24, 24, 24. Oh, God heard their groaning, remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon them and God had respect unto them. So what that that means is that God began to focus his attention on his children. And he put in motion a plan to do something to alleviate them from their bondage. When God does something, he does a total job. He won't just give you a temporary Band-Aid on it or a temporary fix or patch on the head and tell you it's going to be all right and it's not all right. He puts in motion something to get it out from the root 
eradicate it from your life and change your life forever. That's what he does when he has respect to what he's doing for you. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, drop down to verse 3. Uh, yeah, verse 3. It says, in, in the angel, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So then God begins to raise up a deliverer. Somebody to speak for him, somebody to help his people, somebody to lead his people, somebody to do his will. However, God is going to deliver people if he decides he wants to show up himself, he does. If he decides he wants to send a whirlwind, he does. If he decides he wants to shake up, make an earthquake, he does. But then sometimes he will work through people and he raises up a deliverer. He raises up a leader. Leaders are gifted to gather people together under a common cause for God and to not cause them to scatter. You got me? And so God raises up Moses, who is Egyptian in his breeding. He was born in Egypt, but he fled Egypt. And his biggest credential is that he is a murderer. That's the one thing he has to commend himself. Amen? So don't tell me God cares what your past is. See, even under the old covenant, sin was never more powerful than God's righteousness and God's favor. If God saw he could work with you even a little bit, he gave you a chance. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes the people that we hold in such high esteem is they do this for that and God and they do that. You look at them real close and you say, well, you know what? They got a few insecurities here and they got a little this here. and a little. Yeah, they just like you and me. You got me? So it's not like they walk a chalk line. They walk on water on the way home. You know, they go in a car like everybody else. But they have something about them that God sees that he can use, that he can take that out of them and begin to mold it, shape it, and work on it. So he inserts them in leadership. Moses also was from the right tribe. When his when he was born, his parents saw that he was perfect. He was without blemish. And that always meant a call to the priesthood. Amen. They if if a child had some kind of deformity, they were rejected from the priesthood, but also he was in the line of Aaron, the the group that was called to the priesthood. So Moses had all the right credentials, plus he had killed somebody to mess with him. You understand what I'm saying? So he was a man of justice. That murder proved that he was a man who was seeking vengeance and justice. It was just, you know, in the flesh, overboard. So Moses begins to talk to God about what God wants him to do. God begins to teach him how to approach him. Amen. He said, take your shoes off. The place you're standing is holy ground. He starts to get Moses trained in how to come to him and how to relate to him. This is very important. It's important that we don't ever get casual about God. It's important we hold up respect for his holiness, for his righteousness. Don't ever put yourself on a pal level with God. Always keep him as father, as holy, and just, all these things. Keep your head in the right place about God. And what he thinks about you and, and what he wants to do in your life. And so there Moses is. 
And God begins to explain to Moses what he's going to do. And and God tells him in verse 6, Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I don't care what where you're at in your life, if somebody's abusing you, God sees it. You just need to talk to him about your deliverance. Amen. Sometimes God will have you forgive and love people out of your bondage. Sometimes he will have you confront them in boldness out of your bondage. But you need to talk to God. If you think you're not being treated, don't don't keep running around telling everybody else but God about it. Verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, a large land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites. Now God's laying out everything. He's telling Moses, I'm giving you excellent property. He says it's a good land and a large land. Amen. In other words, you're going to live large. You never live small in God. And he said, but there are enemies on this land, so you got to be prepared for war. Now, that wasn't uncommon for people in those days. That's how they got property. Amen. And so he says here, he said, come now there, verse 10, and I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my children out of the land of Israel, uh, uh, children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he says, certainly I will be with you and this shall be a token unto you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. So God lays out Moses' entire ministry before him. When God chooses you as a leader in a delivery, he will tell you exactly what he wants you to do. Why would he not tell you if you got to do it? You got to obey him. You got to know if you're on the right road or the wrong road. He doesn't call you to be a, a pastor one day and an apostle the next and a prophet the next. And he will give you details of your ministry. You know, most people you ask them, well, well, if you're an apostle, what what do you do? Oh, I'm 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 uh, right now I'm planting churches. Mm-hmm. They can't tell you what that entails. Yeah, I've talked to some of them. I don't talk to them no more. It don't take me but one or two times talking to somebody to find out they cuckoo. And they're trying to sell everybody a bill of goods. You know, people are so insecure. And so, you know, this is nuts. Let me leave it there because I only got five minutes. Okay, so anyway, Moses is is going to undertake for God. It takes some negotiating. If you're not sure that you're capable, you need to voice that to God, which Moses did. God gave him answers for every problem he thought he had. God anticipates that you're going to have fears you're going to have insecurities you're going to have all of that when you get ready to serve him but he calls you anyway you think he's limited by what you think your limitations are he sees no limits in us because he sees no limits in himself 
If you're called, he equips you. He tells you what to do. He'll put the words in your mouth. He'll do the whole show. All he needs is a body to show up in his name. And so Moses then is able to undertake for God. God asked when Moses said, well, who shall I tell them sent me? Moses was used to the Egyptians and they served many gods. And Moses said, which one of them gods should I tell them told me to come here? And he says, uh, he says, tell them I am, which means I'm living, I exist, and I, I've seen you, and I can do something about it. A living God can always do something about your problems. Amen. And you serve a law. As long as God lives, there's an answer for you. As long as God lives, there's hope for you. As long as God lives, he will send a deliverer. If not send somebody, he might choose you. You don't know. And so stay in the face of God until you're sure what he wants you to do. And so God gets Moses shaped up. He tells him he's going to send help for him. He puts a weapon in his hand, which is his rod. And all of the things that that are needed. And he lays out the, the ministry of Moses unto the day that they leave Egypt. He knows Moses knows on first meeting what every day of that ministry is going to entail. He tells them, you're going to, I'm going to cause some plagues to come on Pharaoh. I'm going to get your brother Aaron to speak for you as a translator. No, Moses did not stutter. Amen. He could speak clearly, but he didn't know how to talk Hebrew. That was, that'd be like sending me. Uh, we're going to speak to my he brothers for me. And so he said, I'll send Moses, uh, Aaron, your brother, as your translator. Aaron grew up with them people. And so he knows how to talk back and forth. And they, they were able to minister. That was the first preacher with a translator. Amen. And so God was able to use them in the way that he confronted Pharaoh. And at the end of it, he told Moses, he said, you're going to leave out of there at night. You're going to borrow all the money back from the Egyptians that they've stole from y'all over the years. All these people worried about reparations and y'all stole this country from the red man. And God will get that back for you. You can't go nowhere. Well, whose property are you going to take? You understand what I'm saying? It's like there's a, a man, Dinesh D'Souza, if you ever get to watch any of his uh, YouTube there's some guy who stands up at a college and says, well, I think we ought to give back uh, what we stole from the red man. He said, why don't you give yours now? He said, what have you given? And, well, I didn't mean it like that. He said, well, if you didn't mean it like that, you didn't mean it. You understand? Everybody thinks it's the right thing to do, but they're not willing to do any of it. So that's why God is a God of restitution. Amen. If you feel you've been wronged, he will get your stuff back for you. But honey, when God comes on the scene, he does a total job for us because he loves us and he is God. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop? Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us today and helping us understand to always bring you on the scene. When you come, you come in majesty and power and we love you for that. So we thank you, Lord, and we bless you and we praise you that you are God above you. There is no other. We have come to the highest place and we thank you, Lord. We have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, Father, and the innumerable company of angels and to the souls of just men made perfect. So we thank you, Lord, for blessing us to come into your kingdom and your majesty and your power in Jesus name. Amen and praise God. If anybody